Good morning. This morning <clears throat> we're going to be, so we're still in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually in chapter 7. This morning we'll be on verse 12. So we've made it to chapter 7, verse 12. And verse 12 is all we will cover today. There's a lot. There's a lot that the Lord's saying in this one verse that ties in throughout the Bible. So we want to break it down and see exactly what all of it is and make sure that we understand it 100%. Um, so if you would bow your heads. Father, we thank you for another day to be in your word. Father, we thank you for those who are able to be here. Thank you, God, for the things you've done for us in the in the past week. God, we, we ask your mercy and your grace in the one to follow. Be with those who have infirmities in their bodies, Lord, in their minds, spiritual battles that they're fighting. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The first thing that we need to look at is with this, everything, really everything that comes from this, and that's the hard part is everything that comes from where we are is um, we have to look at it through the lens of 1 John 5, 1 John 5, 1 through, through 4. Uh, we'll read Matthew 7 and 12. It says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. So that's that's the one verse Jesus has said. Now, he has said a lot since he, we started in Matthew 5. But his final summation of everything that he said all the way back to the very beginning of when he started was because, therefore, since I've said everything that I've said, all the things that I've said up to this point, um, you need to treat people the way you want them to treat you. And we know that's the golden rule is what it's called. But we're going to look at it biblically, not so much the golden rule way. But in 1 John 5, 1 through 4, this is what we read. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. That's a hard one. So whoever loves the Lord is also supposed to love God's children. So if you don't love God's children, then you don't truly love God. That's, that's a short of it. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. So how do we know that we love God's children? Because we love God and we observe His commandments. Because here's the, here's the long and the short of it. If I don't observe the commandments and love the Lord, it's impossible for me to love anyone else, including myself. Um, and that's why I always go back to, to Paul and Barnabas whenever they're pulled in before the Sanhedrin and they're talking to them at Acts chapter 13 and they, they boldly say, hey, guess what? Because you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're going to go to the Gentile. Like we've preached this gospel, we've tried to explain to you, yes, you killed the king of the Jews and yours, but you killed the Savior of the world. You killed God in the flesh. That's exactly what you did. And because you, you don't want to admit it, because your heart is hard in the way you are, we're going to go to the Gentile. The last one, verse 3 For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and that is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And people, there was a, there's been a lot of things happening in the church world, people falling away, killing themselves, doing things. That verse right there, verse 4, says a lot about it. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So here's the thing. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know that how backslidden you might be if you're even saved. I don't know any of those things. Thankfully, that's not my business. But here's the reality of it. Those who make it are born of God. Those who don't never were born of God. 
this idea that I can once be something and then all of a sudden I'm not that anymore. You either are or you're not. I mean, that's just a reality of it. It's not like many things in life. I've either been saved, redeemed, and born again, or I wasn't. You don't get unborn again. You don't get unredeemed. God doesn't do something. When he does it, he does it completely, entirely, and eternally. Eternally. Now, what happens between that time and the time that you're glorified? I don't know. That's your business. That's between you and God. But this very idea that God can save me, redeem me, justify me as though I've never sinned. And somewhere along the way, I just lose it and I lose my salvation. And I do. It says he who began a good work will finish it. Listen, you're either saved or you're not. And that's the problem. That's the sinner's prayer. That's all of these things. That's why so many people will go to hell. And that's what we're about to see. And I'm not being ugly. Starting in verse 13, we're fixing to cover the hardest sayings. Jesus has said so many things up to this point so that at the very end he can hammer in this truth. The truth is you either are or you're not. And I'm fixing to show you why. So you need to be merciful and you need to be loving and you need to be understanding and you need to understand, number one, if you truly love me, you love my children. And if you truly love me, uh, you follow my commandments. And if you truly are able to follow them, it's because they're not burdensome. And if you find the commandments of God burdensome, you really need to pray. Do we have to like them? Most certainly not. I mean, that's just a reality. Whenever we learn a new reality in, in Christ, let's say, it takes a minute sometimes to wrap your mind around that. So you mean I shouldn't do that or I can't do that? Yes, that's exactly what it means because it's a commandment. None of these are suggestions. I think that's the thing that gets over on me. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's a commandment. He's commanding you to do this. I command you to love. You must love people. So we know we love the Father because we love His children. How hard is that? Very hard if you don't have real love. Love, the problem with love is most people's love is, um, first. the first way we experience love is lust. It's still a four-letter word that starts with L, but that's how it begins, with lust. I love you. No, you don't. You want me. You desire me. And it's usually fleshly. Um, after that, then there is love that you can find. Sometimes, but that love is still nine times out of ten. No, 99.9 times, it's all conditional. All the love that we give to anything is conditional for the most part. Because whenever they fall, whenever they don't do, we don't love them anymore. But the idea that you can, if you don't love something, you never truly loved it in the beginning. And that's, that's the problem is this idea that people say, well, I don't love you anymore. Well, then you never did. You never truly loved me the way that you were supposed to because if you loved me the way you were supposed to, you could never fall out of love with me. Now, you may not like me, and that's fine. I don't like a lot of people, but the love that I have is purposed. Love is not conditional. I wake up every morning. I don't wake up and say, I love my wife because she made me happy yesterday. No. Because if I had to do that, then most days I wouldn't love my wife. I mean, let's be honest, in marriage, marriage is, and it's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. Do you know how often you really truly please God? Not very often. Do you think your spouse doesn't please you much? You barely please the Lord and walk in His ways, the best among us. So if He had the same attitude that you have in this relationship that we have with Him, you would have been in hell a long time ago. How many times would you just love to do something that's very terrible to someone that you claim you love? That's not true love. That's not true love. Now, there's a difference between discipline and anger and hate. 
You know, while you're doing something, your motives are true. We're supposed to love. First Timothy 5 and 8, that's one of the first lessons that we see. So, so what does that mean? What does it look like to love? Well, the first thing it says is, is that we provide for our own house first. And I love the way that Timothy put this because he says that if, if you don't take care of your own household, you're worse than an infidel. So who comes first? 5.18 For the scripture shall say you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Nope, that is not it. That's 8. I'm sorry, I looked at the wrong one. 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's, what we're, that's number 1. How do we know that we love? Well, those people who are lazy and sorry and won't get a job and won't take care of their own children and live off of everybody else, they do not love their children. Lazy people do not love their children. That's a reality. That's, sadly, that's just a fact. But that's a fact that they have to live with. Hey, man. And someday they're going to be the ones, they're going to be the ones that have to deal with that. That's something they're going to have to deal with eventually, right? So then, the, the so the first thing is we must provide for our own household, guys. If you're not prepared, if you're not providing for your own household and the things that they have, you're in a bad way. Because number one, that's the first thing that you must do. Number two, we'll turn to Colossians. So we go to Colossians next. See what it says in there. Colossians, not just monetarily. Here's the other part. It's not just about money. I mean, ideally. Right. That's that's the first thing we should take care of the needs of our family, the needs of our children. But the second thing is we need to do it in a biblical manner. This is not like because this is a, like Ephesians chapter five. And a lot of people don't like that family relations. So second way, um, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And then 20 children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. And 21, which a lot of people don't read, fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. In other words, don't aggravate your kids. And then when they get mad and it's your fault, you punish them for it. You don't, you know, there's, it's one thing to tell them. If you tell someone not to do something, tell them don't do it. But don't sit there and pick at them and nag at them and nag at them. Because uh, even the best among us is eventually going to have enough, even if they're a child. We're not supposed to provoke our children to wrath. That's what the King James Version says. We don't provoke them to anger. And you know what we have a tendency to do? That, especially when they're young. So we have to be really careful. So it's not just in money, but it's in family relations. How do we relate to one another? The next one is Galatians 6 and 10. Okay, so we know that we should take care of our own family first. But secondly, who comes second? Well, that's the household of God, believe it or not. Those who are of the brotherhood, those who we claim to love and and are supposed to be our brothers and sisters. Ephesians, uh, Galatians 6 and 10 tells us, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. You see that? All. And especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So especially those who are here. Now, we should do good to all, and that's where we're going with this. But first, our, our own home, not only monetarily, but biblically, sound practice and doctrine in our house. Second, is the people of the church because there are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our extended family because the reality is I have people in my family, sadly, that probably won't go off into eternity with me. But all of the people that are supposed to be of the household of faith will spend eternity with me. 
because we're all saved. We're all born-again believers. So we should inherit the kingdom of God together and spend eternity together. Y'all, we're a family. Whether you like it or not, that's where we find ourselves. But you notice where it says in the beginning of 10 there, he says, then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially. I mean, you should, you should not have a problem being good to the people of God. You should be able to love your brother and sister. Annoy you quite often. But that's the whole thing is those who are weaker than you, if you're stronger spiritually, the Bible actually says you need to pray for them and you, your, your job is to put up with that because you're spiritually stronger. It's just like putting up with a child who asks over and over and annoys you. You don't get rid of them. You bear with one another. You bear their burdens. You try to teach them. You try, you try but you never give up on them. How hard is that? Quite difficult at times. But that's the, the whole point is, is we're not to give up on one another, ever. Has God ever given up on you? Should He have? Yes. But He didn't. Salvation is for, is for those who overcome the world, it says. We're supposed to be those who are trying to bring people along because you and I are more than overcomers. We have the ability within us to teach and show other people a way to live life this, that will save their soul. And so then we move on to the all people. So it sounds that sounds right, right? I take care. I love my family. And then I love my church family. But he said all. And Paul said all. <laughs> so Luke 10, 25 through 37, we won't read it all, but this is the Good Samaritan. Ever, do you remember the parable? So this poor fellow is going down the highway, and some robbers jump on him, and they beat him, and they steal all his money. They basically leave him for dead and throw him in the ditch. Well, along comes a priest who's supposed to be next to God, right? Let's say a prophet comes along. The, the holiest of the holiest of people travel along, see the man, and leave him alone. Now, this is, okay, we're talking about religion right now, church. Like, this is religious people. The religious people walk by, and they're like, oh, man, that looks bad. He must have done something terrible to upset God. So we're going to let him lay over there and die. But that's how the church sees people. Well, that person doesn't, they don't look like me. They don't dress like me. And surely the reason they're where they are is because they're a terrible, horrible sinner and God has nothing for them. Well, but that's a terrible, what we just learned a couple weeks ago, don't judge people. Don't judge them by the way they look, by their things. Like make sure that you have a sound judgment. At least go speak to the individual. But here comes a Samaritan. The Samaritan, the dregs of society, they're dogs. Jesus even himself told the woman she was a dog, a Samaritan woman. They were horrible. Nobody liked them. If, if they would have been uh, like today we have minorities, they were the most hated minority of the time. But he's the one who stopped, picked the man up, brought the man into town, paid to have his medical bills, paid the person for him a place to stay. And in the end, whenever he's talking to these Pharisees, these people, that's what he asked. He says, well, which one did right? And of course, they had to admit because they, they have to, well, the one who did the most good. And he said, then, then you need to go and do that. That's what you should go and do. But I love that because this is a lawyer. So in verse 25, and a lawyer stood up to him and said, teacher, uh, what should I do to inherit the kingdom of God? That's where it begins. But in 29, he says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So that's where we are right now. Who is my neighbor? Well, according to this parable of the Good Samaritan, um, everybody. Because the last question that when he asked the, asked the man, Jesus says, 
uh, ask him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. So unfortunately for you guys and myself, um, the person who is, we define all, my neighbor is everybody. How do we know that, Brother Matt? Because if we were paying attention earlier in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, we've already read that. Because whenever you say all people, well, good. So you mean all people who do good to me. So everybody that I meet that's personable, that I like, they're well-dressed, they are amiable, they speak nice to me, they don't do me any harm. So all of those people? Okay, all of my family, check. Okay, all of my church family, and all people who do good to me. Because that's what we just saw in that thing. So I'm going to do good to everybody who does good to me. No, unfortunately not. That's what makes this walk, this Christianity thing so difficult. 5 and 43 of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we just saw both of those, both of those, right? We just saw your family and then we saw your church family. That's not who he's talking about. <laughs> he's talking about everyone, every single person. That's who we're to love. That's who we're to, right? And But that gets all over people, and I do understand why. It upsets them because I should not have to like, I'm sorry, wait, I should not have to love, brother? Yes, love, not like. I should not have to love the person who persecutes me every day or love the individual who makes my life horrible, who purposefully tries to destroy my life. I have had several people purposefully try to destroy my life. Why? I don't know why. Because they were filled with evil at that time. I, and I don't know why. But I know this. I know that the Word of God says that I'm to love that individual. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. Despite all of that, I am to love them. How hard is that? Without God, without what we just read, the first in 1 John 5 and 1, if I do not have the love of the Father, it is impossible. Because the only love that's true, the only love that is really love the way that it's supposed to, agape love, is the love of God. That's the only, that's the only kind. Because there's a bunch of types of love, but there's only one that's true love that has no conditions. And that is the love of God. How hard is that for you and I to do? Apparently, it's not super super hard because Jesus actually tells this lawyer, um, okay, go and do that. You know, he says, well, 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 then what should I, who was the one who did the right? He said, well, it was the one who helped him, helped this guy. Okay, then go and do that. Then that's your job. That's your lot in life. And then as he ends this one, uh, I love that. This is Jesus talking again, which means so much more to some people, although the whole thing is his word. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How can I be perfect? You, you're, you can't. It's just you need to be mature. And we really do honestly need to be growing. Like we need to see an active growth in our life towards more Christian Christianity. We need to be more Christ-like. 
We really need to see that. And if you don't see that, because here's the awesome part. The word tells us that we should cast aside those things that so easily beset us. I've had to do that a lot this week. Because if I did what my flesh wanted to do, I would not have a job today. Or I might be in prison. Or I'd at least be sitting in the jail waiting to be bailed out. I'm just being honest. Because these are the things that come against us. It's not big things. It's the daily. It's our daily life. And here's the thing that's hard to understand. But that's where God's placed me. <laughs> like my path has gone through here. Those three men that walked down that road, God sent them down that pathway. And then they had a choice to do what was right, and only one chose what was right. We're fixing to be on a path in 13, 14, 15, 16, and, and it tells me that there's one way that's broad and it leads to destruction, and one way is narrow and it leads to life. He's trying to lead us to a place because he's fixing to drop some knowledge on us that is amazing, that's going to blow your mind because nobody wants to believe that it could be that way. You know, there's got to be at least, you know, 90% of people go to heaven. No. 50%? No, most certainly not. Because the words that we see is many and few. Right? Many there, many will be that go, but few find the way. Just a handful of people. Of all these people that are journeying, a few of them actually find it. But many follow the Broadway to destruction. Well, we can define those two words out and see it's pretty simple. There's a big difference between many and few. Uh, if you don't think it is, then let's, let's use it in terms of your favorite food. I want to have many shrimp, or I want to, or I just have a few shrimp, right? And don't do it in terms that that helps you out with your spirituality or how you want to see God. Just see God for who He is and what He says, because He's still God and He's still just. If He sends everyone to hell, and you don't have to like that either, but that's what His Word says. So now we can move on. So so it's not only the downtrodden. It's not only our family. It's not only those of the church. It's every single person we come into contact with, as hard and as difficult as that may be. Now, it didn't say that to love that individual, I had to do everything they asked me to do. Me and Chandler had this conversation, me and Levi and Uncle Mickey around the table. We were talking about people who are lazy and won't do anything, and they ask for money. And you know now, because we've all learned this valuable lesson, I will buy you food if you don't have it, but I will never again give another human being money because they're going to buy cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs with it almost every single time. Do not ask me for money. I learned that valuable lesson in Shreveport whenever I was 21. I had always fixed multiple sandwiches for me to eat throughout the day. There was a homeless man with two dogs. He asked me for money. I offered him sandwiches, and he said he didn't need sandwiches. He needed money. I don't give people money anymore. Nobody. I'll walk right back in there, and I'll buy it. I'll go back through the drive-thru. I have given people food from a drive-thru. I've given people food when I came out, and some of them, they are disgusted by the fact that you gave them food because they wanted money because they need to go in the store over there and buy a 40 or whatever it is that they like to drink, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying use wisdom. Loving that person is not enabling that person, is what I'm saying. I can love someone without giving in to their, especially the things that are against the Word of God. If I truly love someone, then I'm trying to do everything I can to warn them about the sin that's in their life and the things they're doing that's against God's will. That's in God's time. It really is in God's time. I'm watching God do all kinds of crazy things. I think it's really awesome. I haven't seen you in forever. It's great to see you this morning like God sent you here this morning. 
There's so many things that are happening and we have to think about that in the midst of everything. Relationships that we've had with people, the time we've invested in people, none of that stuff returns void because one or two ways it'll be used. It either uses to draw them to the Lord or back to the Lord or place them in a place to work for the Lord or the day that they stand before Him, they will not have an excuse. Either one of those glorifies God. When I share the gospel and I live my life out before people, it glorifies God if they go to hell and it glorifies God if they make it to heaven. Either way. Because God is just if they're glorified in the hell that they go to and God is just and they're glorified in the wages they earn that send them to heaven. Either way. Now how does that feel as a human being? Not too great. Because it makes me sad. But I'll never know it. I'll never know who's in heaven or hell. Because there'll be no sorrow, no sadness there. The last part is, the very last part of this verse, he says the same way you want to tr them to treat you for this is the law and the prophet. So if this is the law and the prophet. Now what I like, I want to compare it to another verse, but 5 and 17 of Matthew, we're going to do it because it's right here. But 5 and 17 says, do you think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets? I did not come. To abolish, but to fulfill. So he's here to fulfill the law, number one, and he's talking about it. But here's the cool part. I wonder why he said, for this is the law and the prophets. And then in 22, if you want to turn there, Matthew 22 and 40, he says something different. And then when I started looking at it, I understood why he said something different. In 22 and 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So all of it. Well, those two commandments are what? The we know what they are. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your everything, and love your neighbor. So when you take those two, the first one, when it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. Okay, why? Because unless I love God, it's impossible for me to love anyone else. But if we take the Ten Commandments, the first part of the Ten Commandments are all summed up in that one thing. It's about loving God, loving God, loving God, and God. The second part of the Ten Commandments is about what? Our relationships with other people. So that's why it goes on. Then it says, this is the great and foremost, but second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Because as we read in 1 John 5, 1 through 4, if I don't truly love my neighbor, I never truly love God. And if I don't love God, it's impossible for me to love my neighbor. These are reciprocal truths. You can't have one without the other. So that's why he's saying in this verse right here, it, it's not the whole law and the prophets. It's This is the law and the prophets. Not the whole of it, but it's part of it. Because here's the reality. If I treat people the way I should and I'm truly loving them, I love God. If And if you're not treating people right and loving the people around you, you do not love God. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. All I know is that the Word tells me that to be in enmity with God, to be in a relationship that's opposed to God is a horrible place to be. I do not want to find myself there because there's only one outcome. Mm -hmm. There's only one outcome for a God hater. That's uh, James 4 and 4, 4, 1 through. It, and it's very telling. But these are truths that people don't like to hear because it, it's, it should convict you. And the thing is, you don't have to say it in an ugly way and you don't have to be mean because what does the Word of God say? It does what? It divides the the bone and the marrow. It divides the spirit and the soul. Y'all, that's that's tough. If you're really listening to the Word of God and you're filled with the Spirit of God, it is convicting the fire out of you. And it hurts. Why would I want to say something to hurt you more? 
this should hurt you so much that it drives you to repentance. It drives you to a point to where you don't want to be where you are. Why? Well, the only reason you could do that is because you're filled with this very spirit. You have to be. You have to be filled with the spirit to be driven to a place where you feel like you shouldn't do what you're doing. You know, the people that don't have the spirit of God, that have no conviction, they just live their life. It's not meaningful for them. Romans 13, 8 through, 12, 8 through 10. This is another one we're talking about fulfilling. And we should want to fulfill the law of God. Because Jesus said he came here to fulfill the law, right? So if Jesus fulfilled the law and I have Christ in me, then I should be fulfilling the law, everyone. The very Spirit of God would want me to fulfill the law as Christ did. Because the one thing he said was, be like me. Be like me. Imitate me in this world. You're a light that's set on a hill. Shine. Let people see who I am. Let them see there's something different. So in Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, tell us this. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Who is our neighbor? I don't want to go over this over and over again, but it's everybody. That's why the Word of God builds on itself. Like whenever I'm studying and praying for this, all these scriptures come in my mind. All these things start stacking together. Put it in, and the Lord said he'll bring it back out. And it just you notice how it's building. Everything is just building, is scaffolding from the last thing. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. There's a reason why there's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Listen what that last thing that he just said right there in 10. He said, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. If we don't fulfill the law, we're going to go to hell. I'm being honest with you, because that's where we're going. You either are or you're not. Problem is, most people are hearers and they're not doers. And that's what distinguishes a truly saved person that's in the kingdom of God and a person who's just playing, sadly. Galatians 5.13, we'll go back to Galatians 5.13 through 14. He says again, the whole law. So I'm just, we're just building on this same idea. Galatians 5.13 through 14 says this. For you were called to freedom. Remember that, please, because the next one, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law? So you mean that Jesus Christ came and made it possible that if I truly love and I love, I can fulfill the whole law? Yes. Why did he say he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? You know how he fulfilled the law? He made it so easy. He said, I'll fill you with my spirit. And if you love like I love my father, my father loves you, you can come, you can go to heaven. You can fulfill the whole law of all those laws, 613 mitzvah. You can fulfill the whole law by doing one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Father, how, Lord, how can you say that? Because if you truly love your neighbor, then you love my father. And my father loves you and I love you and we will commune with you. We're in John 15. I, we will commune together and you will bear much fruit. You will never, ever be useless, ever. The, the word is so, if, if you really are not, if you're not reading and studying your word, you really need to because it is seamless. Every verse that we go to ties to the last one. This next one. 
James 1, 22 through 25, and I'm going to leave Galatians because I want to refer back to it so you can see what I'm saying. Because none of this stuff is new revelation. Everybody's just listened to what Jesus said and what he taught. They're being inspired by the same spirit, the self-same spirit. The one who led me to teach this lesson this morning is the same one that will lead the preacher to preach what he preached. What is that going to look like? If y'all don't pay attention sometimes, sometimes it looks like a seamless thing all the way through the whole entire day. From the Sunday school lesson to the to that, to the songs we sing, to the night service all the way through. And we don't ever talk about it because that's wrong. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. We don't sit and have ministry teaming meetings. We let the Spirit lead us. It's, a very, it's important that we do that and not try to make something out of nothing. James chapter 1. I love this. I've written this in, it's in some of Ethan's stuff and some of the kids at school. If you can live this, you, you can make it. James 1 and 22 through 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So if you are not actually living out the word, but you're listening to it, then you're delusional. And you know who you're doing that to? Yourself. You're judging yourself unworthy. Because you say that you know that it's true, but you don't live it out. So you're a hypocrite. That's what it's saying. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. I don't forget what I look like, unfortunately. Sometimes I'm reminded what I look like and I go, oh, wow. You know, physically, I'm saying. But spiritually, do you really do a spiritual checkup on what you're looking like spiritually every day? You should. Especially in a lot of moments of our lives, we should, at that moment, it should be like, oh, wow, spiritually, I'm not looking too good. 25, though, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Guys, that's the law of freedom. Who is that? That's Jesus. And, and abides by it. So what does he say over and over in John 15? Abide in me, and I abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Stay in me, in Christ. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So why sometimes are we not blessed in what we do? Because we're a hypocrite. I never said you were a sinner and you were going to hell. I'm just saying that you're not following the commandments of God and his teachings, and you are going to pay for that. Your, your life is going to be a little more difficult. Now, I'm not talking about a McNeely difficult because sadly, for some reason, we have some of the worst outcome luck, if you want to call it. And I don't understand that. I'm talking about like if, if things are just not really good, if you're not at peace with yourself, if things are and you can't figure out why, it's probably you. Either God is trying to move you to another level and you're just not listening or there is unrepented sin in your life. Unrepented sin in your life causes misery for somebody who's truly saved because you're in conflict with the very spirit that inhabits your body. It's like having a, if you, you have something in your body, I have metal and titanium in my body. If my body starts to reject that, I'm going to be a miserable human being, right? The things that we have in our bodies that have been surgically implanted, the things that's been taken, if our body starts rejecting our hand, we're going to be in a bind. Well, you're rejecting what's inside of you, and you're grieving the very Spirit of God. That's, that's, that's tough on a person who's truly saved. Because there has to be, repentance has to come from that, guys. There's got to be something that comes out of that. Because if not, you're just going to be miserable all the time. So continuing the perfect law of freedom. What did he just say to us in, in this last one? And I'm going to read it again in 13 and 14 of Galatians. He said, 
for you were called to freedom. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but to love and serve one another. Yes, you are free to do all things. And I love that. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. I have liberty and freedom to do anything I want to. But here's the difference. Paul was mature and he learned something. He learned, you know what? I have, I have liberty to do whatever I want. But if what I'm doing is not beneficial for the kingdom of God, why am I doing it? I'm never going to tell you that if you drink an alcoholic beverage, you're going to go to hell because I can't find that in here. But please tell me how any of those things benefit the kingdom of God. I'm not going to tell you that walking in the casino and eating at the buffet is going to send you to hell because I can't find that in here. But I, tell me how it benefits your witness for someone to see you walking out of the casino. <laughs> like all, all you do is give people reasons to justify the behaviors they have, especially those that aren't saved. Because then you've just justified that and you're like, oh, well, I guess if Brother Matt does it, then it must be OK. But you're not saved. But you did it. How can you be saved and do something? But I'm unsaved and I do it and it's wrong. Exactly. Stay away from that. Don't even first Thessalonians 5 and 22. Don't even don't even don't even do things that look sinful. Stay away from even the 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 look of it. Don't do it. Don't let people think that you're in sin, because if you are, then you're a stumbling block. The last one is James uh, chapter 2, 8 through 12. If you are fulfilling the royal law, you are doing well. So what is the royal law? What have we learned so far as the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. But this is the scary part, because this law, this perfect law of liberty that we heard about in one, he's fixing to talk about it a little bit more. And uh, yeah, so eight, if however you are fulfilling the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. So if you truly are doing that, then you're fulfilling the law. And he says, you, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced, convicted by the laws as transgressors. Okay, so that's why he says over and over, don't be a respecter of persons. Exactly. I love my son, but I'm not to love my son and do things for him that I wouldn't do for someone else especially biblically. Now, I'm not going to pay somebody else's car insurance. I'm just going to be honest with you, so don't, don't come here with that. But what I'm saying is, biblically, I can't, I can't say to someone else, hey, you can't do that because that's a sin. And then I let my son do the same thing, but, but I hold this other person that I hired. That's not right. So then it says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Who's judging you? Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's concerning. That should concern people. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So this seamlessly from the from when we started in first John chapter five, all the way through what we just read in James is Jesus Christ is the perfect law of liberty. And if we love him, if we love God's children, then we actually love God because the only way we can love his children is to love him. But y'all, if you don't love your brother and sister and you don't love the people in the world enough to live your life right. Listen, here's another level to that. If you don't love them enough to live out your life in Christ, you don't truly love God. That's what he's saying in 1 and 22. So you're a hearer, but you're not a doer. So you are not effective for the kingdom of God. Just because you hear it doesn't mean anything. If you are not living your life in Christ, you are not effective for the kingdom of God and you do not love him. Golly, that's tough. 
Thank God it's not my word and it's his. Because if so, people could be mad at me. So, Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word. God, we ask that you that you would uh, remove all the things from, from our heart, Lord, from our mind. Those things that this week have beaten us down, Father. We ask that you would be with us during this service. God, that you would encourage us, Lord, through the word. That you would prepare our heart for the word so that we can receive it. And it will become a part of who we are, ingrained into our very life. That we might live a life in Christ, out before a lost and dying world. Be with those who aren't able to be here today, God. We thank you for who you are and for your mercy and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.